0: If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly.
1: Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about divorce in a recession. Should you get one or not? Which is better for money-wise? Joining me today is Jonathan Wynn. He is a litigation partner with Cordell Law. So, welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks, Heather. Happy to be here. First of all, I'm guessing if, if you just can't get along or there's some type of violence in the relationship, in the marriage, you would not recommend holding off getting a divorce for any reason.
2: Yeah. The thing with a divorce is there's no such thing as a good time for divorce. It's kind of like a death. There's no good time to die. It's a horrible thing. It happens. There's just, it's, there's not a lot of positivity, but for every disadvantage of of when you do it, there's an advantage. And so it really kind of depends on your own unique circumstances of what kind of investments you have, what kind of job you have as to whether a recession is going to be good or bad for you.
1: A lot of people have been concerned about whether their retirement will hold up if we have a recession, plus we've got these higher interest rates right now. Let's throw divorce on top of that. So what happens to my money if I get divorced right now?
2: Yeah. Well, let's, you, you kind of brought up a couple of items. Let's just kind of go through those one at a time. So the first thing you brought up was retirement. You know, in a divorce, we're going to divide the retirement equally. If you had retirement before you had got married and have some premarital retirement, that makes it a little more complicated. But where that gets kind of tricky is right now retirements are at a, at a, a real low. And so I've had several clients who would prefer to do a buyout. So if you have a hundred thousand dollars in retirement, Rather than, you know, rather than giving them 50 of your, your 401k and dividing that 401k into two accounts, they'd rather hang on to all that stock with the hope that that stock will go up. And rather than giving them 50,000 in stock, give them 50,000 in an offset like a house or cash. Oh. Uh, obviously to do that, you still have to do kind of a pre-tax and post-tax analysis because your most of your retirement is going to be pre-taxed where cash is after tax. So you have to do some adjustments. But that's, that's the easiest thing. Now, if you're looking at just what's going to put both sides in the fairest result, it really is just an equal division because that way the counts went down equally, the counts go up equally and both are set up. But a lot of times certain people are in better shape for long-term benefits of, of, you know, I, I can wait 50 years for my retirement where other people are like, look, I'd rather have some money now to start my new life over and to get ahead. Ways to kind of make it work for both sides.
1: So what if I'm the breadwinner? and I had the stay-at-home partner, and all of my retirement went into a fund under my name. Do I still have to split that with the other person who I'm ditching?
2: You do, yeah. And the way that we do it is called a qualified domestic relations order. So they do it in a way that there's no tax penalties. So you don't have to cash out your 401k and then pay all those penalty taxes, but the the, the IRS will actually allow you to go into that 401k company Divide it into two 401ks, one in your name and one in your spouse's name. And then you both can equally access that however you want.
1: Okay. Well, to me, that seems a bit of a disadvantage, for especially at the moment. Uh, what are some other things that we may need to take a look at if if I do decide to get divorced right this very minute?
2: So the real estate was the second thing you brought up A the house. Uh, you know, we've had a crazy, crazy two years of real estate. I'd say a year ago, every month I waited to go to a settlement conference, the property would go up ten thousand dollars. And right now, every month we wait to settle, the properties are going down ten thousand. Now that I'm speaking of it, in a particular, uh, more of the upper end house, I've got a client with a one point four million dollar house, and they bumped out the mediation by one week, and it went down ten thousand dollars in that one week. Wow! And so, when you have such a fluctuating market, it's very difficult to kind of decide well, what's a fair price for this house? Is it going up? Is it going down? What what if I wait a week? What if I wait a month? That's something that's really tricky because you have people who a year ago bought their wife out of a house, paid her a whole bunch of cash, refinanced the house, and now a year later, they lost 20% of that value even though they already paid it out.
1: Well, I would say they only lost the value if they sold this year to get out. But if they bought out the partner and they plan to stay in the house, for the next five, ten years, they could get that value back.
2: yeah, it's tricky because it's a paper loss in the sense that the the house going down you know is a paper loss, but the fact that they cashed out money
1: uh, that's, a,
2: that's an actual money they gave to their spouse who then invested it in a property market that was going up versus down and and so there's a lot of hard feelings there, but the the main thing I would recommend on that is having the house formally appraised. Uh, these, these apps like Zillow or Redfin, uh, or even looking at, you know, your county appraisal value, uh, those are too wishy-washy and they're moving all yeah. over the place. Yeah,
1: uh, definitely. You're going
2: to get a little bit more of a secure number with an appraisal. It's going to cost you five to $600 to do it, but you're going to make up that money by, if anything, just having the security that both parties know that whatever price they they agreed on is a, is a supported price.
1: All right. So we discussed retirement. Now our house splitting. What about in this inflation where everybody's struggling right now? What if I get a divorce and we're both still struggling, but like my spouse hasn't had a job this whole time and I'm like, kick him out or her. How does that work in an inflationary time when everybody's struggling to begin with?
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, there we're talking about support. Uh, and that that support really divides into child support or spouse support. they're kind of two um, there there's a couple of pros right now. One of the huge benefits is right now there's a lot of jobs available uh so if you have a spouse or if you are the spouse who has not been in the work field for a while, uh, you can walk out the door and by the end of the week have a full paying job uh, that is That is not a thing we're struggling with right now. Most people, even without college educations, can be making significantly more than minimum wage. And and there is an obligation, by the way, for that person to do so. Uh, there's a kind of a saying we say is, you know, everybody's heard the term housewife, but there's no such thing as house sexwife. <laughs> not in any dictionary. And And so although that may be a standard you had during the marriage or a benefit of being a married person is to be a stay-at-home parent, that's not a benefit that's supported by the law on a divorce. And so, the first thing that that any party should recognize is, hey, if I'm going to go into a divorce, I have a duty to to support myself and my children. Uh, I can't just rely on on the the historic method of one person staying home while one working. So that's kind of the first factor. Now, that being said, those incomes are one other thing that's been fluctuating. We've had some industries that are really low because of this recession. Some industries that are really high. And depending on where you're at on the low or the high, I mean, for example, if you're in the medical field and, and you go into a divorce and they're looking at what should you be paying in future support, typically what the court's going to look at is your last year of income. Well, if you're in the medical field, your last year of income is the highest you've ever had in your entire career. I mean, it's, it's crazy. These guys are working all kinds of overtime. And and then we have to kind of figure out, well, how does that reflect? The other, the other industry that I saw that happen in is the mortgage industry. I had a yeah. client in the mortgage industry whose, whose income was double last year. And so as we look at, okay, well, how does that reflect on what's a fair amount? Uh, what it really does for us is I feel like we have to just take a little bit bigger of an average. Rather than just looking at one year income, we should probably look at three or even four years to try to give a better average uh, as we project what the average will be going forward. Because once we, we lock into a number for support, it's a lot harder and a lot more expensive than try to go fix it later if it didn't work out the way you thought.
1: Okay, we do need to take a break. When we come back, we'll go into a few more items we may need to know about if you are getting divorced as we're heading into a recession, or some people say we're already there. So we'll be right back with Jonathan Wynn. He is a litigation partner with Cordell Law.
0: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.
1: your life in any way money-wise. We're talking about it. Today, we're talking about divorce in a recession. Joining me today is Jonathan Wynn. He is a litigation partner with Cordell Law. And now that we've split up the the house and I may or having to pay support to my partner, my ex-partner, how do I add that into my budget for everything else that I have to pay for?
2: Yeah, well, well what the court does in Utah is when we're trying to determine what's a a fair amount of of support, we look at the standard that you had at the time of separation. And so that's kind of a place in time, and typically we'll look at maybe a one-year period, the one year before you separated as as an example of what your budget was when you were together. And then the court's going to try to match that budget the best they can. So with with inflation the way it is right now, if we were to, say, look at, today and what you're spending in groceries and gasoline that's going to be very different than one year ago what you're spending in groceries and gasoline which was significantly lower prices and so the, the the tricky thing here is as we look at going in the future are we assuming that gas is still going to be five dollars a gallon and if you spent hundred dollars a month we need to give you alimony for that or do we, we take into consideration where gas may, good, may go so that's a, a specific factor that the courts are struggling with. These judges are struggling with how do we deal with this? Because, yeah, if we look at it, you know, if they separated a year ago and we're looking at what their expenses were a year ago, that's going to be a little different than their current expenses because of this inflation. Just the price of milk and gallons of gas and eggs are all going up right now.
1: Yeah. But you could also say even if you took today's prices, is it really going to stay that way a year to two years from now as inflation starts coming down?
2: Right. And then we're stuck with with maybe having to go back to court and say, hey, like, we're not spending as much as we originally anticipated. Can I pay less in alimony? Because now her budget has, has decreased. And the tricky part with, with kind of waiting and seeing versus trying to kind of get ahead of it ahead of time is is the price you'll pay in, in, in costs of just trying to go back in, in two or three years and modify. Usually almost don't even justify whatever you're going to save. When you're looking at that, but there's, there's other budget thing. I mean, I, I kind of mentioned food and gas because those are the two that have kind of gone up, but, but even the housing market, if you're renting, for instance, I mean, or mortgaging, I mean, that, that's continually changing. And if somebody comes in later refinances and reduces their mortgage payment, well, technically that, that means that they don't need as much support because now their monthly expenses are a little less. The idea of that, that support payment is, is the higher earning, the higher wage earner. Is supplementing the lower wage earner, but they're covering their budget. It's not necessarily like a punishment or an entitlement, it's just more of like almost a welfare. It's a spousal welfare program, is what alimony really is. And it's saying, hey, we'd rather have the ex-spouse pay the welfare to the to the spouse than the government take care of that spouse. And so it's getting them to that level they need. So as they pay off their debts, as they pay off a car payment, or as they refinance the of these. With the interest rates going up or down, that's going to change their budget, which then should reflectively change the amount that they need in alimony.
1: So so let's say we had two cars and we were paying, still trying to pay those off. And I get one car and my ex-spouse gets the other car. If I refinanced and it went down, you're saying the spouse who was paying me the alimony could go back to court and go, hey, she's paying less for her car. I don't want to send more money to her anymore.
2: Technically, they could do that. And, and maybe my point is more is as you're anticipating how this divorce is going to work out, you should assume that's going to happen and figure that out ahead of time. Okay. So as you're, you're calculating, cause in, in Utah, we're about 98% of our divorce cases are settled outside of court. They're settled between reasonable parties, reasonable attorneys who just sit down, work it all out. Sometimes you need the help of a, of a judge to weigh in on some, some issues, but 98% of these cases aren't going all the way to trial. They're not like we see on TV where everybody hates each other. They're actually just reasonable parents who just want to move on with their life in a reasonable manner. And, and our family law attorney section in Utah is fabulous at, at helping parties resolve this without a lot of detention. Our law firm is in three different countries, 46 states. I think out of all of that, and maybe I'm a little biased as a Utah myself, but I think Utah is one of the top states in the entire world for trying to work through a very contentious process and remove that contention remove that that struggle and so a lot of what we're talking about is things to to think about as you're in that settlement process and trying to determine whether you're the receiving spouse or the paying spouse thinking ahead and saying okay well i can't have a car that's linked to him he doesn't want his credit linked to my car payment so i'm gonna have to refinance. What is that refinance going to look like? Am I going to put it out 36 months or am I just going to do 12 months? And what will that car payment be and how will that affect my support? And you do that all ahead of time. You're going to save everybody a lot of, for one, a lot of expenses Mm -hmm. and for two, a lot of conflict.
1: And you did touch on it just a little bit. Also, what about debt? I mean, what if one spouse is a shopaholic thing and has all this debt? If we get divorced, does the person who doesn't take on debt have to help pay that off?
2: Yeah, that one's a tricky one because it's kind of a catch twenty-two. Sometimes, you know, you can just say, "Hey, all debt is just fifty-fifty, and we split it right down the middle." The problem with that is, is if you're the spouse who wants support, now your budget is higher, and so now you need more money to pay that budget. So the uh, the spouse who's the higher ends up actually paying the debt twice. Once is paying half the debt, and the second is by giving you the alimony. And then you have the the I guess the unique factor of well, if, if it's a hypothetically, a car payment that has three years left in it, but you owe her spousal support for 11 years, well, now you're giving her money for a debt that's going to be paid off in three years, but you're giving her that amount for 11 years versus just the three years. And so, again, the, the, the best thing to do is to kind of see these issues all the way through. Think about that budget, not just in what it is here and now, but really for the whole length of the period of that support. Think about where that budget's going to go. Think about how these debts are going to be because sometimes it's better just to say, "You know what you 're a higher wage earner rather than giving her alimony, which by the way, alimony is one of those issues that everybody just hates <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's uh, like I say it's kind of like a welfare. The person who gets it always feels entitled. The person who pays it always feels like they're getting gouged. I mean nobody's ever happy with alimony so sometimes one of the ways to reduce the the contention is to say, hey, rather than paying out money, why don't you just pay all these debts instead? And then that person can walk away debt-free and their net budget may end up being about the same as opposed to you giving her half the debt and then, or him or her half the debt and, and then dividing the, the income equally.
1: Sounds like there's a lot we want to think about before we even go into the settlement issues. I mean, I know the attorneys can help negotiate both parties through the steps. But if we even understand what some of the conversations are going to be around, like the retirement issue, your 401ks, the car payments, debts, things like that, if we have a better understanding before we even have to talk to an attorney or get to the settlement table, that might be a better way for us to understand ourselves and each other.
2: Definitely. I, I think step one is understanding what you have. Doing kind of a, a spreadsheet of here's every asset I have. Here's what I owe on it. Here's what my account values are. That's the first thing. It's kind of knowing where you're at. Understanding what your budget is, what your income is, how much you're actually paying in taxes. Uh, especially for, for any of, of those that are listening that are, that are self-employed, get those taxes in order, get your accounting done and caught up. And then talking to an attorney is is really helpful. Again, the Family Law Board here in Utah, uh, these attorneys aren't the type that are just hired guns out there to make a buck. They're really there to help people. And any of these attorneys will will sit down with you, usually about an hour, and answer all of your questions. And at that point, they can tell you, hey, you don't even need attorneys, you can do this on your own, here's some resources. Or they may say, ooh, you got some complicated issues, we probably need to get you on board and help you out with those.
1: Oh, wait, one last question if my spouse cheated on me and that's why i'm getting a divorce can i get more money from him because he had you know was sleeping around
2: yeah this is a this is probably one of the most common questions that comes up infidelity is looked at very differently depending on which per- which side of the, <laughs> the table you're sitting on what we have seen is a trend in our courts that they don't want to deal with it at all uh, if you think of a, of a typical divorce, it's, it's probably 90% numbers on a spreadsheet and 10% soap opera. And the courts are trying the best they can to stay away from the soap opera. We had a, an appellate court case came out several years ago where the courts actually said, you know what, we're not gonna deal with, with fault at all because we just don't know how to deal with it. And our our legislatures are said, you know, I've re-emphasized, no, we really do still want this. As, this, as the people of Utah, we want there to be some accountability. But our judicial system still is trying to figure out what that actually means. And what that usually means is we're not seeing a huge result one way or the other.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. When you've helped us just get a sort of basic understanding of what happens if you go into a divorce, no matter what the financial outlook is in the universe right now. But definitely you want to pay a lot more attention, especially if you have retirement on the line right now if you're going through a divorce during a recession. So thank you so much, Jonathan Wynn. Again, you are a litigation partner at Cordell Law. Thank you.
0: Twitter and Instagram.
1: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. <laughs>
0: There's desperation and anguish.
1: More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin, and my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors?